Hey, what's going on? I'm Jeremy Lee, and you are listening to episode 14 of Reading the Play, the show where athletes share their story and experiences about life and sports. Additionally, we'll break down some key decisions they made so you can get a better understanding of their journey and where they are today. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast so that you can hear other great stories by athletes. You can also find them on sportcalgary.ca. And for more content, follow the Facebook page Reading the Play. And to get the latest news, including new episodes dropping, follow on Instagram at Reading the Play or myself at Legacy. In this episode, we dive into the interesting world of Casey Bellamy. Casey is a seven-time world champion, three-time Olympian, and 2018 gold medalist. So Casey will share some of her favorite moments from the past three Olympics, finally winning that elusive gold medal in 2018, and also a couple of her favorite stories about her good friend, Brianna Decker. As you will hear in her stories, Casey has a drive and a focus that has allowed her to become one of the best defenders in the world. Well, it looks like Casey's all warmed up on the hot seat. Let's get it. Casey Lee Bellamy paying a little visit to Story Island today. I'm excited because this is the first ever All Lee podcast. That's exciting. It is exciting. Thank you for having me. I got you a little something, and you might know. I got you some donuts. Did you? I did. How'd you know that that was one of my favorite foods? Uh, It's all over the place. Or snacks, I know. Um, You know what, though? That was funny. Someone tweeted about that, like filet mignon and donuts. I thought people could kind of separate, like, that I don't eat them together. I just love steak, filet mignon, and I also like donuts. Right. Yeah. So people confuse it, like, oh, does she eat them together? Right. And I was like, no, who would ever do that? You've never had steak on a donut before? No. (laughs) Especially with blue cheese. No, but thank you. What kind did you get? Close your eyes. Just wait. Okay. And open. Oh, are those like... Have you seen those before? I feel like I have. Are they from that... What are they? What's that? Modern donut? No, it's not. not. What is it? It's called Baked Brands. Baked Brands. Okay. Yes. So they're protein-based donuts. Are they? Yeah. So they're kind of more like a What do you think? I'm like an athlete? It's for (laughs) high-performance athletes. And I'd like to think they're also for low-performance athletes like myself, so... Yeah, sometimes when I... I eat donuts because they're really not great for you, so I I don't even think about anything. So I was trying to minimize the negative effects of a donut. Yeah. And so, yeah. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. Casey, you were born in Providence, Rhode Island. I was. But you say you're from Westfield, Massachusetts. So when did you move to Massachusetts? Uh, when I was three years old, I moved to Massachusetts. So I think that that's why I'm always saying I'm from Westfield because that's where I grew up. Okay. Um, born there. My extended family lives in Providence still. But, you know, I have so much pride saying that was my birthplace. And we go there every Christmas to visit my uh, grandparents and, like I said, extended family. So it holds a special place in my heart. I'm in the same situation. So that, that's why I wanted to ask you what maybe the rule was where you tell people where you're from. I don't because know if there is a rule. I no? just, I don't, yeah. I don't know. I mean, when people say you grow up somewhere, I, I figure it's for the majority of your childhood. So I think that's why we say what I say Westfield. I mean, I was only in Rhode Island for three years and some of my siblings for only not even a year. I was born in Palm Springs. That's in California. Cool. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. But then I moved here when I was two and a half, right. kind of like you, like I just moved when I was that between two and three. So I still tell people I'm from California. I now live in Calgary. That's true. You know, people get 
it's unique that I say I was born in Rhode Island. Yeah. Because people are like, oh, I didn't know that. That's pretty cool. It's like the smallest state. So all my since my family was there and that's where my parents really grew up, it, that's why it holds such a special place in our heart. I know for my siblings included. How many siblings do you have? I have three siblings, two brothers and one sister. And where do you fall in that ranking? Second oldest. Second oldest. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you have an older brother? Yeah, older brother Rob. He is 33 years old. I'm 31. Corey is 29. And Lindsay is 28. And it was just a hockey family or what? Yeah, my older brother, my brothers played hockey and my sister didn't play hockey, but she was always there supporting, played field hockey and softball. Which is also what you played later on in life, right? I did. Did you play those growing up too? Not really. Only softball and baseball, but field hockey I took on in high school. Oh, okay. Because I wanted to do something in the fall. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. But I guess when you're growing up, it was just winter was hockey, summer was baseball or softball. Yeah, we didn't really do like the soccer thing. My brothers did football kind of later in life, and then they kind of got into lacrosse actually. But for me, it was baseball and hockey and softball. It was Robbie who introduced you to hockey then? Yeah, he was playing at the time. And okay. I honestly just went to the basement and put his equipment on that was downstairs airing out. And I came back upstairs and I told my parents I wanted to play hockey. And I was dancing in like a ballerina at the time. My mom was like all supportive. My dad was like, no, no. And the smell didn't turn you off? No, I, I don't even think I, I don't think he worked that hard yet at that age that it didn't even smell, but I, I just loved watching him play, going to the rink, just being in that atmosphere. And I started playing when I was five years old. And right away you were into competitive hockey then at that five-year-old age? Uh, I, I went from learn to skate right into the Westfield youth organization. Okay. Yeah. And got kind of got right into it. Right. Yeah. Playing defense right away. No, I played forward. Okay. Yeah. But... I turned into a defenseman when I was probably 12, 13 years old because I always wanted to be the last person back. So I was a forward, and I was always the last one back because I never wanted any opponent to be behind me. So I think that that's where just my defensive intuitions came in, and the coach was like, I think we'll just put her on defense. And that's where it started. And at that age, everyone's pinching anyway. Yeah, and no one, no one, like you really don't know the difference until you're actually on the the blue line and someone's like, point, pass it to the point. And I'm like, what's the point? And that's like the defense, that's what you call the defense, like up at the blue line. Totally. And so it's so funny when you, all the lingo and that you learn over the years with hockey. But yeah, that was my biggest thing is I didn't want anyone ever to go behind me. So I always wanted to be the last one back before they got to the goalie. And so you were playing boys league at that age? Yeah, I went from Westfield Youth Hockey and then I went to the Springfield Junior Picks and that was like travel, competitive, all boys. There was one other girl in the league, Sarah Parsons, who was in the 2006 Olympics. Um, But that was the first exposure I had to body checking. Huh. Yeah, it was really, really exciting. And at the same time, that was probably the first adversity I faced because nobody wanted me to be on the team. Like the parents the kids on the team, and it was hard for me. It was like, this is the decision where I need to figure out if I want to keep playing hockey because there's no really options for girls unless you drive two and a half hours, and my parents couldn't do that with four kids. What led you to stick it out, though? The love of the game. I just loved it so much and the way I felt on the ice, and I 
I wanted to go as far as I could in the sport. And it was a dream for me to go to the Olympics and be the best. And so that trumped all the outside noise and what everyone else was saying. Yeah, I just think at a young age, uh, our parents taught us so much about like, just facing things head on and having a dream and going for it and doing what you love. And at such a young age, I always believed that. And so I've been doing it ever since. Well, you talk so much about the power of the dream, right? Mm -hmm. And I think there's no greater evidence of that than at that formative age. That's where you needed that that dream to be the strongest, right? Yeah. And I think my parents had so much to do with it because we weren't making a lot of money at the time. Um, they, well, not you. Not you know? me. No, we, I say we. I mean, when I go to the snack bar after yeah, games. Yeah, yeah, But they made so many sacrifices. My dad was on the road every weekend with my older brother, and then my mom had the three other kids. And it was hard. It was not easy. But I think at a young age, you see those sacrifices that your parents make, and you never want to disappoint them or let them down. So I never, I never looked at myself as wanting to quit anything. So I just kept with it. Totally. So that, that schedule for your parents must have been absolutely hectic. Ridiculous. Now I look back at it on it and I'm I'm just they worked 5 days a week and then they were on the road with us yeah. playing hockey and giving a, going to practices with us 2 3 times a week because sometimes my practice schedule didn't line up with Corey or Robbie's. Right. So they were going to the rink for practices 4 separate days a week. I can't even believe it. The miles they put on the cars. <laughs> I know. But I look at everything that's happened in my life and my siblings' lives, and it's worth it. Absolutely. You know? Where's the furthest you had to travel at that age? For normal games, I would say like two and a half hours. We'd go all the way up north to New Hampshire, but then we'd have tournaments in Sherbrooke, Quebec. Yeah. Yeah, or Toronto, Canada. I remember my first ever, one of my first ever tournaments in Toronto, Canada, and I saw the CN Tower for the first time, that unique tower in Toronto and it's my favorite building to this day because when you're a little kid and you see a building like of that stature and how unique it looks from the outside it's it's like eyes wide open for a little kid so every time I see it now when we go play Toronto or Markham I love it and we take a picture of it because it's so eh? unique Yeah. yeah that's cool um we're entering your high school years mm-hmm. where did you decide to go for that and why I decided to go to boarding school because at that time it was the best option for me to get recruited by colleges. Okay. And I don't think that that was honestly the main reason I went. Uh, We knew a couple of kids that their parents coached or taught at a prep school in the same organization, the Springfield Picks, and we heard nothing but amazing things about it. And I think for my parents, where can we send our kids if they're going to get a great education, they're going to get molded as a student, a hockey player, an athlete, and also, you know, build their character to the best of its ability. And I think prep school was the best option. And I really only had one option because the coach that coached at Berkshire saw me in a tournament and we were able to get really good financial aid and I was able to go there and it was a big factor too, right? Especially with my parents at that time. That's right. It was the best decision that I could have ever made, and it was the best four years of my life. Did any of your other siblings go there? My brother went there. Robbie or Corey? Robbie did. Okay. Um, I think after my freshman year, he decided he need that my parents wanted him to go there for a year just to experience it. Yeah. 
and it was amazing. He loved it so much, but he only went for a year. When did you start doing field hockey? I made that decision my freshman year. I needed to do something, and it was my freshman year. And I thought it would be great for me to get in shape for hockey, all the running that was going on. And it helped me because you can only be a right-handed in field hockey, and I was a lefty on the ice. So I really thought it would help with my athleticism as well. And I ended up loving it. It was great for me and meeting different uh, girls in prep school, and I had a different friend group because of it. So you're telling me that if you got the opposite handed stick in hockey right now, you'd feel comfortable shooting right handed. No, too. I would okay. not. But that's the, not the way you me. stick handle in field <laughs> hockey. It's totally different than ice hockey. Right. Yeah. But and then when you swing, it's kind of like a golf club. It's very unique. But I knew some girls who played lefty and just flipped it over. But I was able to get it get it down as a righty. When that mess you up good. technique wise though. I don't think it did much. No. I think all in all, it helped maybe with my top hand as a righty, which would be my bottom hand in hockey. Right. So maybe it helped me be, get okay. a little stronger. And I feel like they lean really close to the ground too. Like they, they lean a lot more than hockey potentially. Oh my gosh. My first like two weeks of getting into field hockey, like every year, my back, my lower back is just shot because you are you're bending over at the waist yeah. the whole time. And it's just an adjustment like anything else. Like if you don't play hockey for a month, then you get back on the ice. But I loved it. It was a great experience for me. What position did you play in baseball? In baseball, in I played shortstop. Okay. Yeah, I loved it so much. And I honest, I almost went to college for hockey and softball. It was a very hard decision for me. So I was looking at all Division One programs that offered both and that I could do. And some colleges were like, no, you, it would be too hard. You need to have mm. one one sport priority. And I think because of wanting to go to the Olympics, I knew I needed to just choose hockey. And then I played softball like in the summers. Right. It's for fun. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But I loved it. Do you miss it? So much. I had so many friends. We would go, we did travel softball since I was 12, 13 years old. And... I think softball really molded my character because of the friends that I have and the coaches that I had, and they became like second family for me. Did you start wearing number 22 in, when you went to Berkshire? Yep. And my brother was 22 at a young age, and I was number 10 forever. And then all of a sudden, I decided 22 is going to be in my number. And I think first, my birthday is April 22nd, but my brother wore it at a young age, and it just stuck with me. And so that was the reason. I had my own speculation. My theory was that that's because you got your driver's license at that age. Well, that's true too. But I that was a decision <laughs> that I couldn't make until I was like 22. Right. But yeah, my brother wore it and I loved the way the number looked on him. And when I couldn't get 10 at Berkshire, I just switched to 22 and I've had it ever since. And it was open at UNH. And on the national team, I only was without it for like a year or two. And then Natalie Darwitz switched her number and I uh, was able to get it. Did you have to do her any favors? No, because I think like she said, oh, you can have it. Like it's been bad luck for me or something. So okay. she wanted to switch her number. I was like, great. So during your four years at Berkshire, when did you have to decide to leave the other two sports in the rearview mirror and focus seriously on hockey? Well... Not until my scene. I knew I was going to play three sports up until I graduated from Berkshire. Okay. But I think it was when I made my commitment to go to UNH. That's when I knew I could only really focus on hockey after. So I really tried to take in those next 
you know, that next year and a half of playing other sports. When did that commitment happen? I made that commitment of the fall of 2009. So the fall of my senior year. Okay. Prior to that, how did you land on that decision to go to UNH though? That was a hard decision. Um, I had three colleges that I looked at and I loved all three of them. St. Lawrence, okay. Providence College, and UNH. And honestly, if you knew my whole story, you would have thought UNH was the last place I would have chosen. Providence, my family was all there. So I was it would say, have been a perfect back to the situation. Yeah. yeah. Loved the area. Um, St. Lawrence, a lot of Berkshire girls graduated and went there. Absolutely loved that it was a small campus. It reminded me of prep school. And so Gina Kingsbury went there, didn't she? Yep. Yeah, yeah. a lot of a lot of girls went there that graduated. So I knew I knew a lot of them. So I, it felt home for me, St. Lawrence. Hmm. But UNH, there was just something about the campus and being next near the water. It was only two and a half hours from my hometown. I knew my parents were going to be able to come and watch and support for my whole college career. And my brother was at the University of Maine at the time. So it was exactly right in the middle of my hometown, Westfield and Maine. Hmm. So my parents were could have went to him and went to as many of his games as they could and mine at the same time. So I kind of used it as more family for my family. It would... Um, I wanted to have them come and watch me throughout my whole college career. So that was a big, big decision for me. And I loved the coaching staff and the big ice, call it Lake Whittemore. Um, the big ice I really thought helped to our team's advantage. Did you assess the strength of the program at all? I knew that they were up and coming. Okay. But you know what? Honestly, one of the girls that committed the same year as me, Sam Faber, she an un, incredible athlete, one of the most talented hockey players I've ever played with. She committed before me, and so that kind of helped also say, you know what, that's a great forward, that's a great person who kind of I can pass to, and she's going to build this program up in the next couple of years. I feel like maybe if we were both there, we would help the program, and we were best friends there, and we still are best friends. We communicate all the time, and we had a really we had a lot of fun there. For four years. How did you feel prep school helped you in developing in hockey and also in life? Prep school developed me hockey-wise in a lot of different ways. Um, our head coach, Lori Sharpentier, was one of the best coaches in the prep world, and she still coaches to this day. And I, she had such an impact on who I am today as a person. And I can't, honestly, I can't thank her enough, but to me, when I went to Berkshire, she demanded so much like respect and work ethic that whenever you stepped on the ice for practice, you were going 100% and you listened and you did the right things on and off the ice. And she just set the precedent for our program. And I think that that's why we were so good because everyone that was on that team worked so hard and we wanted to be better every single day. Hmm. And that's an amazing... That's an amazing thing as a coach to just demand that respect right off the bat. And she, like I said, she had such an impact. Same with my advisor there, uh, Sylvia Gappa, now Sylvia Ryan back then. But I think that Berkshire had more of an impact on my character and who I was off of the ice than the, my development in, in hockey. I think boarding school is one of the best decisions anyone can make. Nowadays it's different because there's a lot of options for girls. But just being there and like you're living on campus, you're living in a dorm, you're, you know, learning how to be an adult 
and you're in high school, you're, you're such a young age and you're with all these friends and you're going to breakfast together, lunch, dinner, you're going to study hall, you're on all these different sports teams. And it's just, it's an experience that's very difficult to explain how much it had an impact on my life today. Were you homesick at all? I was. I almost left because I was so homesick for the first two weeks. I wanted to leave. And then my advisor just was there for me, said, stick it out, stick it out. You know, you just got to find people to hang out with. I didn't know anyone. Mm. But then I remember going home one weekend and I remember being home and I said, I can't wait to go back to Berkshire. And so then ever since like the first month I went home after that, I was, I love Berkshire. That was the switch you needed, hey? Yeah, it was. Huh. It was incredible. So then you move on to the University of New Hampshire and you play four seasons there. Mm-hmm. What was the adjustment like for you going into Div 1 hockey? Girls, I'm guessing at that stage, were probably the fastest and the strongest you've ever played against. Mm-hmm. Was that an easy transition for you? I think the transition going from high school to Division 1 hockey, it's not that big as you think. But it's the confidence piece. It's like you're in high school, you're one of the top teams in, you know, the high school realm, and now you're a freshman. It's like you're fresh meat going into Division One college. It's the biggest thing right now other than the Olympics. And for me, yeah, it was a confidence thing. It was being the experience and playing. Every game I played, I gained more confidence in college. So that first, you know, those first couple of weeks, you're kind of shaking in your boots. You're a freshman with like seniors who some of them are 23, 24 years old and I'm this 18 year old. But, you, you know, you learn over time that you work hard off the ice, you work hard on the ice, you do all the right things, make the sacrifices and like you hang out with the team and you build that team chemistry. It just gets better and better each day. But going into your first couple weeks at UNH, that was the same scenario as going into your first couple weeks at Sheffield, wasn't it? Oh, yeah. You it didn't was know the anyone same going thing. there? And I was homesick again. Yeah. And I wanted to leave. And I remember, once again, I went home and went to like my cousin's football game in Worcester at Holy Cross and went home for the weekend. And I said, I, I, I can't wait to get back to UNH. So it happened again. My mom just rolls her eyes whenever I tell the story, but... I think she liked that I kind of was homesick a little bit there because she felt like important and wanted. Totally. But that's what happened. You know, you you go to a new place, you are brand new, you don't know a lot of people, and then you just day by day get a better feel for it. You get to meet new people, and it's it's incredible. So when you finally got comfortable at UNH and you embraced the culture and the people around you, did the frequency of you going home go down at all? Yeah, from then on, I only went home for like Thanksgiving and then Christmas. I didn't go home a lot because I loved UNH. I loved the girls. And our schedule was so busy. We were mm-hmm. going from September all the way to Frozen Four because luckily we were in it for t- uh, two years out of my four. And that means more games, right? That means and, more games. Yeah. And then the springtime is when you really just have that downtime of doing more things. But like Berkshire UNH was an incredible experience and I loved it. It was a great decision. When did you start playing with a full visor? That was my sophomore year at Berkshire. I started, me and my teammate, we were just like, those are cool looking. 
And I started wearing it and I loved it. I could see everything I felt. And then I went back to a cage just to try it. And I like couldn't. You're like, this is garbage. I couldn't separate yeah. the two. And now I just, I love it. It's so much easier to see the ice, especially as a defenseman, I feel, breaking the puck out. And I think it looks cool. Yeah, I wanted to ask you that because I feel like the majority of the league right now plays with the full cage. Yeah, I feel like Canadian. a lot of Canadians wear the cage. Okay. And it's just not the most like popular thing here. but So it's more prevalent in the States? I think more so. Okay. People call it a fishbowl. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I don't care. <laughs> um, playing in two Frozen Fours, what did that do for your confidence, and how did that help you elevate in your performance? I think individually, I didn't even look at it in that light. I looked at it more as like a team thing, and I think putting UNH on the map, and I think a lot of people thought UNH was like this question mark, or we weren't anybody's. We would always, people would always say, oh, who's going to the Frozen Four? Or like, oh, who's in the tournament? And we would always be up there in the top five. And I think a lot of people just like kind of wrote us off. And so for me, it was more so taking that pride in our program and trying to prove people wrong every year. And we had such a great coach there, Brian McCloskey. He was such a knowledge of the game. And I really think that he helped with much of my development of my hockey game. It was it was unreal. I think it was the two first Frozen Fours that UNH had, so it was really, really exciting. At what point did you enter the national program then? I had, this is a funny story, because I got cut from my first ever national team tryout. And that was under 22s, 2006 summer. So that was my first experience, I would say, with... The under-22 team, that was, you know, my first USA tryout, and I was cut from that team three months later. Four Nations is in November. I get a call saying I made that team. So that's the senior team. And I was ecstatic. And um, the coach was Mark Johnson at the time. So being able to kind of make my first ever USA team, put down that jersey, but also playing for a legend of Mark Johnson, it was just kind of a whirlwind for me. And luckily, I've kind of been with the program ever since. It's It's been incredible. First ever um, time I put on the USA jersey was in Canada. Hmm. It was at the Four Nations in Kitchener, Ontario. Sold out. I'll never forget it. I just, I wasn't even, like, I didn't even think I was a hockey player because I was shaking in my skate so much. I was so nervous. And... You just try you try to follow the leaders of the team, and I remember Angela Ruggiero, she was on the team at the time, and she just said, you're, you're here for a reason. Play your game. You know, you got cho- chosen, and you're good. So just be that player that you are. And I was like, okay, no way. I got burned by, like, Jaina Hefford and so many Canadians one-on-one, and I was hey, like, Hall oh, of Favor. I mean, that's... Yeah, no, no, they're good. But it was (laughs) an experience I will never forget. My first time putting on the jersey in Canada, sold out. Is it hard to compartmentalize that starstruckedness? I don't even know if that's a word, but... No, it's, it's, it's very hard because you have so many emotions going on. And like I said, I think the mental aspect and like the confidence is the biggest thing that separates you from being like good and great. Hmm. And when you know, you're nervous or you have any doubts or you're worried about outside factors, 
you're not going to be successful. You're not going to have a good game. But if you're dialed in, the more experiences that you have, then everything just becomes easier. It's kind of like riding a bike. And you still get excited for games. It's just less kind of those nerves of doubt, you know? Mm -hmm. Well, and you want to normalize the big stage, really. Right. And when it's a sold-out crowd, you can do, try to do nothing but embrace it yeah. and use it to your advantage and have fun with it. Yeah. It's easier um. said than done, though, right? <laughs> <laughs> but it comes with experience. I know. That's true. Playing under legendary coach Mark Johnson, how did? what were some of the best tips that you learned from him? Probably the biggest thing that he led by example. And he wasn't a yeller. And he demanded respect. And you knew you were going to give him you know, 100% every time you stepped on the ice, but how he coached the bench, how he ran practices, those were the things that you improve as a player without even realizing it. Just the way he was day-to-day at the rink, his name itself, I mean, not to be cliche or anything, but you, you step into the rink, you step on the ice, and you just... You're giving him your full attention and full effort every time. And I think just by doing that, he made you better. With the demands of the national program in terms of scheduling, how did you balance that with still going to school and still playing for UNH? Well, for college-wise, it's it's easier because, you know, that division, the college is your priority. So okay. if you get invited to a Four Nations, you're going to go... Well, I I should say it's your priority, but if you have a national team commitment that you got invited to, you're going to that. Unless, like this February series, no college kids can go. But, you know, you have to ask your teachers. You have to get that permission. But it's on you to do the work that you missed. And I think prep school, like I said, helped me out a lot in that aspect of balancing my life with my hockey and my schooling where it kind of came easy to me in college. I was able to do my work before I would even go anywhere. And then if you're with USA Hockey and you have a test or an exam, one of the staff members will, members will proctor it. And like I said, prep school is the thing that really, really helped and shaped me for those moments in college. Mm-hmm. That's where you were prepared. That's Very much. You, yeah. I think we had study hall every day from like 8 to 10 at Berkshire. When I went to UNH, I made my own study hall because that's what worked for me. And I knew if I didn't have good grades, I wasn't going to be able to play. That's cool. You took that system that Mm -hmm. you established at Berkshire and you brought it with you to UNH. Yeah. Did you just notice that your play individually exponentially rose because you entered the national program? Or was that not the case for you? I think confidence-wise, it helped a little bit while at UNH. But I think it's just a, the work ethic thing. And I honestly am a firm believer of the off-ice in the weight room. How hard you work there is going to help with your results on the ice and improve you as a player. You do have to work hard on the ice, don't get me wrong, every time you step on the ice. But I saw a lot of the differences happen because of the things I did off the ice and my nutrition in college, you don't, you don't, you don't know a thing about nutrition. I wish I knew what I knew now, or like in the last eight years, I wish I knew that in college. Hmm. I was eating like 
subs and pizza after practice. And I am like, I would shake my head at myself now because I knew nothing about protein or getting your vegetables in you. I was eating boxed or frozen TV foods. And I'm telling the kids now, if you're listening, you need to really educate yourself on nutrition because mm-hmm. that could be a difference maker in college and in high school. And you need to start early. I know. I it knew. pays dividends big time. Yeah, but I think once you get that, you get the nutrition, the off-ice aspect, and you're doing everything you need to do little things-wise on the ice and improving your skills, that's when you see yourself going like this. Huh. You know? Yeah. And that's where I didn't see that until probably after college. Yeah. I think my body developed a little differently and the things I was doing in the weight room. I had unbelievable strength coaches. I th- I think Mike Boyle at an at an early age developed me and developed my body and the things that he knew exactly what I needed. I think that's where my game r- really improved after working with him in 2011. Yeah, that's when it started kind of I took it more, way more seriously. And not that I wasn't taking it seriously before, but I didn't know the differences. And once you see yourself improving and making gains, mm-hmm. it becomes kind of like an addiction where you just want to keep yep. improving. And that's how I feel today. You talked about the work ethic piece. Was that the biggest thing you noticed with the other girls that were around in the national program? They were just putting in time in the weight room as well? Yeah, for sure. I, I think any team you're on, You try to, you know, lead by example and be the one that is in the weight room working your butt off, especially if you're a leader of the team. You know, you want to be the hardest worker on the ice, off the ice, because then it leaves no doubt in anyone's mind of how did they get to where they got. Oh, because they work hard. Oh, because they're doing the extra things. If people see that and the little kids see that, then that's the precedent that's sent that's set right and there's no better feeling of when you are in the weight room and you're doing extra and then another teammate comes along and joins you and then another one and then it just becomes the nature and the culture so you've had the pleasure of being in the national program for what 13 years now make it 12 12 13 years yeah i mean 2006 was my first four nations and then 2008 was my first world championships okay yeah how have you seen the program evolve over time from when you first got into where it is now? I, I think for us, it's the little things and the little details and the mental aspect of the game and making sure that you're always prepared for any situation, no matter the score, no matter if your skate gets broken mid-game, if the power goes out. Any situation that happens, I think that we've learned to prepare for it. And Sochi, I think, was a big example of that. When we're winning two to nothing with three minutes left in the game and Canada scores and then they tie it up with under a minute left, that's a type of adversity that'll kill you, you know? And Mm -hmm. we learned so much from that game that I am a true believer of it was meant to happen that way. Because the things that we learned over the next four years leading into Pyeongchang, it was just meant to be. And I think you learn so much and develop so much 
because of losing or going through adversity or failing, it's it's very hard to explain. Like I wouldn't take those losses. Like I would keep them because of how much I learned as a human being, how much our team learned, and how much stronger we are right now and better off we are because of losing. And now, luckily, we, I mean, not luckily, but obviously we won that gold in 2018, but... That wasn't luck, I'll tell you It wasn't much. luck, no, but yeah. it... But it required it, some tearing down yes, in order to build back up, it did, right? and it required a lot of hard meetings, um, a lot of hard work, day in and day out for four years, yeah. the little things, like I said, the little details, and every single person on that team will tell you that's what it took, and it's worth it made it all worth it when you're in a four-year grind and you're just focused and you're you got your eyes set on the next olympics is it really difficult to keep out distractions like what your friends are doing social life and all that stuff maybe what your family's doing if your family's going on a vacation and you're like no i actually you know i got a tournament this weekend or whatever i gotta lift with the girls yeah that was more in that was more me in college if okay. i had a camp or a tournament i knew I wouldn't go out. I would go out. I just wouldn't. I would be smart and like, you know, took that time to recover and get ready and prepare myself for the USA tournament or camp. But I think over time I've learned a lot about balance and team chemistry being such a big factor in success. And so you make those sacrifices still, but you have a better head on your shoulders of when you do that and when you can go out and enjoy yourself and have fun and make those memories with your teammates when it comes to the sacrifices yeah I've had to miss weddings I've had to miss family parties I've had to miss vacations but when you have a dream and you have a goal and you know that there's nothing else that compares to it it's easy the decisions are easy and when you have a gold medal in your hand you know there's no question in your mind that everything was worth it it always comes back to the dream, doesn't it? Yeah, always. Yeah. Huh. I think that's a great transition into the Olympics. Mm-hmm. And my my opening question for you actually has to do with the opening ceremonies. Mm-hmm. Casey, you've been to three Olympics. If you had to rank the three opening ceremony outfits from one to three, first, first second, and third star, let's put it that way, what would that ranking be for you? Wow, that's a good question. Opening ceremonies, I think Vancouver might have to be my number one just because it was my first Olympics and everyone talks about getting the clothing and opening ceremonies. So you're so invested in it and you can't wait and you're so excited. And then I think I would have to say Pyeongchang would be number two because just everything about Sochi was not the best Mm. experience. It was just, it was tough the way a lot of things went down, we didn't even get to go to opening ceremonies and because we had a game the next day and we decided uh, that resting was was going to be a better decision. But a couple of us got dressed up and took pictures outside of the dorm. You know what? I actually wrote down my picks and yeah? they're exactly the same as you. Nice. I felt that 2010 had the very classy look to they it. Did. Yeah. Very classy. I really liked those outfits. Were those with the hats too? Yeah. Yeah. And 2018 was kind of similar, but I felt it was a little more bland. It was just, 
We had jeans though. That was cool. Oh, okay. And then those gloves reminded me of like Dumb and Dumber. So it was really fun because Dex <laughs> and I love Ace Venture or uh, Jim Carrey. Jim Carrey, Jim Carrey, yeah. So when we first got those gloves, we were like, this guy, it's like Dumb and That's Dumber. amazing. When he's wa- walking into the ski lodge. <laughs> it is incredible. And then I don't know what was going on with 2014 there. But well, yeah, the, I would just the, say the I, don't, sweaters. I don't even know if I put on that opening ceremony just because we didn't go to it. Yeah. So that's that's tough. That's something that if you ever have a chance to go, I think you just make that decision and go. Just go and walk. Yeah. And then leave. But, you know, it was it was different in 2014. It was like we were an army and we were we went there for one goal and one goal only. And I don't think we enjoyed the whole process as much as everyone would have liked. It was very much business. Yeah, very much. And, you know, you, you learn that lesson, like I said, and you can't have regrets about it because you you learn a lot. And we went to 2018 and we said, nope, we did this. We're going to do it differently. And it turned out to be the best experience. You talked a lot about learning from your losses. Would you say you learned more from the loss in Sochi in 2014 or Vancouver 2010? Definitely 2014. I think in 2010, Canada was still better than us okay. even though i think in that pre-olympic tour the games i don't know if we won more games or they were even but i just think when we stepped on the ice there were a few more nerves we were a little younger and then you we definitely were yeah we worked hard to get we worked hard to get what in 2010 yeah yeah we had a lot of new girls yeah i mean so did they but they had a couple new girls but they were stacked with Carolyn Roulette, Jana Heffer, like they, I could just go on and on, like Catherine yeah. Ward. It was just, in, Catherine Ward was new though, but they had an incredible roster. Shannon Zabados played incredible. And then you take those next four years and you just have that taste of silver in your mouth and you just want to be the best you can every single day. But I think from 2010 to 2014, we just were thinking gold medal, gold medal, gold medal. And that was it. And we turned ourselves into like this army that it was all, like you said, it was all business. We weren't having really f- much fun. We weren't taking it in day by day. We were just like, we we're winning a gold medal in Sochi no matter what. And, and it then, was just so regimented, yep. your schedule. like Yeah. So did you even go out at all at so- in Sochi? No, no. It was just a different area. Did you have I don't think we had curfew, but we knew. We knew to be in our rooms, like, at a certain time. Uh, It was, you know, a decision we made as a team as well. I mean, it was, you don't want to feel that loss again. You don't want to feel that silver medal. And, yes, it's very much an honor to get a silver medal at the Olympics. I totally agree. But when you are wanting to be the best in your sport, you, you look at a silver as a failure and you lost. You lost in a game. So, my answer is yes, we learned so much more going the loss in Sochi 2014 leading into the next Olympics. There was a lot of negative press in Sochi about the dorms and all that stuff. Was that for real the case that you experienced? or The dorms were not terrible, I didn't think. We had big rooms. Okay. The weather was incredible. I didn't think the accommodations were bad whatsoever. It was not like it was in a town. There was just, we couldn't leave the Olympic Park. That was the hardest thing. Okay. So our parents like were in ships and then if they wanted to get into the park, they had to, it took them 45 minutes, even though they were like right there. It was just the route 
it would take them. It was just a different setup. Whereas Vancouver and Pyeongchang were very much alike where you could actually leave and there were coffee shops around and you could go and cab somewhere and it was everything was right there. You could go hang out with your family. It was easier, more accessible. Jumping back to the 2010 Olympics there, you've talked in the past about how one of your favorite spots is in in Victoria, I guess, right? Mm-hmm. And so Vancouver Olympics must have been pretty special for you. And did your family come to that? Yeah, that was incredible experience. I I would say even though we lost, it was probably my most favorite Olympics. Mm. I was a, I mean, like outside of the games yeah. themselves, Vancouver was your favorite Olympics. Yeah, just be, I mean, it was my first Olympics ever. We're right in the city of Vancouver. I mean, the dormitory we were in faced the city, and we're right on the water. The apartments were just some of the best I've seen, like, for an Olympic venue. And we were able to take the train and go see our parents every single day, down to the P&G house, down to the USA house. And it was only, like, a five-minute bus ride to the practice arena and the games. I just think I took every single day in, Hmm. in Vancouver. Yeah. And... Our team, me and my teammates that were new and the ones even that weren't new that have been there for three or four times helped us take it in because it wasn't like they were, you have to focus every single second of every single day. No, you, you focus when you need to focus. You're a professional. Take it in though when you have that opportunity to take it in. Go see your parents. Go to the different venues. Go to different competitions. Meet different athletes. Go to the dining hall. Sit with different countries. So I think that that was my first real taste of that kind of culture, and I'll never forget it. Did you take in any other events in yeah, the Vancouver Olympics? We went to, I think, a couple of speed skating events, went to obviously the men's hockey, and couldn't go to snowboarding because it was too, it was up in Whistler. Oh, yeah. Figure skating? Yeah. Those are ones where we were big supporters of, and then the, this past Olympics was curling. Oh, that was really That was fun. huge. Yeah, yeah, it was awesome. But it was it's so fun seeing all the other athletes from different sports and even when you're not on the same in the same country, you still have that respect. You say hi, you say good luck. It's just like a it's a huge family. It's it's, it's incredible. Who's the coolest non hockey athlete that you met? Maybe from Team USA. Mm, non hockey. That's there's a few figure skating there's a few figure skaters, Charlie white charlie white yeah yeah and his partner there we had a great time and we um we talked to them a lot sat with them evan lysachuk (laughs) yeah yeah figure skater i think this olympics though anytime i saw like scott or tessa i was kind of starstruck because they're such huge icons in canada so it was around the world too and oh around the world it's it's so unique to be a part of and see, and we're just walking by people and seeing them and they're just like normal human beings, just like me or you. And it's just special, special to be a part of. So coming out of that 2014 Olympics in Sochi, um, you were talking about how that one you learned the most from. What was your mindset? What was Team USA's mindset for the next four-year cycle? I think our mindset was just taking what we learned, you know, leading into 2014, but also giving ourselves a little breathing room of balance, Mm. you know, and keeping in mind the business approach didn't work. Absolutely. I think it was more taking the kind of player and person that you are 
and improving yourself every single day, no matter what it was, nutritionally, mental skills-wise, physically, no matter what it was, you did something that day of training to improve yourself. Mm. And then those days you recover or have off, you take those fully. Whereas you're not jamming seven full days every single day for five hours a day. That's draining. And I think that that's where we lost track in 2014. I think we were all just a little too drained. And I think from 2014 to 2018, we still worked as hard and improved, but we also had that smarter recovery slash balance side of us that I I really truly think helped us. So heading into South Korea, you guys are pretty loose then? Pretty loose. And I think we used to always focus on Canada Yeah. before that, like Canada, Canada, we have to beat Canada. I think we just focus on ourselves and our own team and... Because that's what you can control. Yep, exactly. And that's a big thing that our mental skills, she always says, control what you can control, control the controllables. And that's true. There's things in life that you, you're not going to be able to control and the things that you can, you just deal with it when it happens. Outside of the gold medal, coolest moment from 2018 Olympics? Probably once again, seeing my parents in the opening ceremonies, like way up high. I knew my mom had an American flag and I was trying to find her and I saw her. It's you just emotional. You can pick her out in, yeah. the, in the stadium? Yeah, it's emotional every what? time. And you can see me... My dad's taking a picture of USA, like when we're all coming out. Yeah. You can see me if you zoom in waving at them. Like I know where they are because I'm waving at them, but I don't think they know where I am. Yeah. But I know where they are. So it's emotional. Vancouver was definitely the most emotional because it was my first one ever and I started bawling. And it was just, I think it's the sacrifices that your parents make for you. And then they are able to see your dream come true, but it's also a dream of theirs too Mm -hmm. and they're there just taking it in with you and enjoying it that was probably the most special because family is everything but you were probably most emotional after you won the gold medal yeah that was pretty emotional and my brother was there and my brother never went to an olympics and i always say he's my good luck charm now yeah he has to go with you every for our team from now on but i've been lucky enough to be still playing and he was able to come to south korea with his girlfriend, and I'll never forget that because it was an experience for him. We've talked about going to the Olympics, and they've had hockey because they were playing. My little brother was playing. My older brother was still playing when I was in um, Sochi, so they weren't able to come. My sister works. So for one of my siblings to actually be able to come and take it That probably meant the world to you, though, hey? It did. It honestly was so special, and then I think there's a picture of me pointing at him or something like after we won and my mom says like he it was like one of the most emotional times like she's ever seen him so it was kind of special because he like lives through my shoes now too yeah always asks me how's everything going and if ever we have a camp or tournament he's always he's so invested such a big supporter i was gonna mention i was at the 2010 gold medal game so i'm probably your bad luck charm oh my gosh (laughs) hey it was so close though it's in vancouver yeah it was you know yeah i think if a lot of people had to do it again I think a lot more of my family members would have came to Vancouver because it's in Canada and it was probably the cheapest. Now it's been Russia and And South Korea. Yeah. Yeah. Vancouver was the best option. And that was it. I flew in and I didn't even have a ticket yet. Really? Shout out to my uncle. He he somehow got connections and was able to take us. That's cool. Yeah. So I I went because I wanted to experience 
the atmosphere and right. the buzz. And after Sidney Crosby scored that goal in the gold medal game, like the city was on fire. Like it was a pretty cool experience. It was cool. That, it made it worth it to be around that environment. That's what I went for. Yeah. It was, you know, your guys' game was just the cherry on top. And yeah. we were actually, the row in front of us was a bunch of Jen Bottrell's family members or girlfriends really? or whatever. They all had Bottrell jerseys all in front of us. I still have a picture of that. So, yeah. yeah. I mean, if you're Canadian and after that Vancouver Olympics, you're pre- you're feeling pretty good, if, oh. especially in hockey. Yeah. Right? So that really great for the country, though, during that to be able to showcase one of the biggest sports in Canada and being able to win gold in both your women's and men's teams come out with a gold medal, that's pretty special. Well, you've won your fair share of world championships. Why do you think the Olympics was any different? I don't know. I just think, you know, the Olympics, it comes down to one game. It really does. Mm. I mean, you obviously have to win out majority of your games to get there. But in the women's hockey, the, par- the parity is getting better and better. But we don't play best of three. We don't play best of seven mm. to say who's taking home that gold medal. It's one game. And you're either showing up and your legs are great and you're feeling good or it's just okay and you're not feeling the best. It's it's give or take on any day and it's hard because you try and prepare yourself the most you can and obviously energy, excitement, it's always going to be there. But sometimes you just don't feel the best physically. and You have to deal with it in a moment because you, you don't have a choice. Yeah, you just deal with it and you fight through it. I, I think my legs felt so crappy right before Sochi on the ice but you mentally have to be like get up get out of it yeah you know yeah. and then they felt great in pyeongchang but it's any day is it could be anything which format do you like better what do you mean the best of three mm. or do you enjoy the one winner takes all one game? it's kind of cool it's unique for that winner takes all because it's that's what makes it so exciting yeah. Would we get that attendance if it was best of seven? Would we get that attendance right. if it was best of three? No, that gold medal game was the um, people watching it and the popularity of it. I think that's what makes it such a big deal is that one game aspect, winner takes all. Of the three gold medal games, which atmosphere was most intense? Which one was the buzziest? The Vancouver, for sure. Yeah. I, oh, my goodness. In the backyard, right? Yeah. And I probably, I was the least nervous for Pyeongchang. I was excited for Vancouver because it was like gold medal game in Canada. Yeah. And I'm like 21 years old, 22 years old. More nervous, I think we were in Sochi because I feel like we put a lot of pressure. Yeah. Put Sochi. I think we put a lot of pressure on ourselves. And pressure is never great except, I mean, it's good in a in a way, but. It can also be det- detrimental. Yeah, too, right? detrimental. If you're ever, if you have pressure and you're ever having doubts about how you're going to play as a team, if you have any doubt whatsoever, you're not going to be successful. So winning that gold medal, if I remember correctly, it was a whirlwind for Team USA. Like you guys were just booking TV yeah, shows, interviews, on invited to different events. Yeah. What was that turnaround or that the what was the aftermath like for you guys after you won gold? I think it started right from after the game. We had to go right on the Today Show and like Good Morning America, and we weren't even able to go out yet. We had to wait, go get interviewed, and then finally go out as a team. And then it was the next thing, on to the next thing. We were going on the Ellen Show. As soon as we landed back, and we went right to L.A., Jimmy Fallon. We went to Sports Illustrated. We went to all these places, the New York Post, newspaper. Like, it was a whirlwind. But we knew we had to do it because it was we had so much support. And 
It was 20 years since we won gold. It got That's a big deal. After like five, six, seven days though, it gets so overwhelming. Yeah. And I just wanted to get home to my hometown and be able to share it with everyone that That's what all was the girls there. are probably thinking though, right? Yeah. yeah. But it's an experience we will never, ever forget. Right. It was so fun. But yeah, it got a little tiring at the end and everyone was like, okay guys, we know you won gold. Like enough's enough. Like, is it going to be over yet? This little tour. But we, we needed to do it to put the U.S., our hockey, our sport on the map. More so in the U.S. because we know how popular it is here. But it was it was good for us, and I think it was needed. Twenty years later, to see that exposure. And you guys nearly didn't play in 2017 either, right? No, we we had the World Championships. Yeah. And we almost did a boy. We had a boycott. Yeah. Where we fought for equality, and it was a decision that we made as a team. Who came up with the idea? We have like a leadership group and like we've just trying to been fighting for this for a couple of years now. And I think it was a decision that we made that we had to make because nothing was happening. And if we didn't do it, people weren't going to take us seriously. And we told the team, like, you have to trust us. If, you know, we boycott this and we sit out, then people will hear us and hear what we have to say. And it like that it was a whirlwind as well but it's changed our sport so much especially like in the U.S. for sure it's helped us just be able to live our life and be able to train and have this one focus on just training and Mm -hmm. I would have had to probably not I wouldn't have been able to come to Calgary this year and I probably would have had to have another job like I coached college for two years and it's hard to focus on hockey as a priority when you're working a full-time job and you're coaching and you have to wake up at five in the morning to work out by yourself because you're not making enough money. Like, how do you think that recovery is? Like, my performance is, like, it's probably not going to be as great as it is if I was just focusing on training for the national team itself. Absolutely. Physically, mentally, you're just divided, right? Yep. So I had to make that sacrifice. And the year we did the boycott, I didn't work. Yeah. And... You know, you you have to be frugal with your money. You can't go out. You can't, like, you have to make those sacrifices because you make this paycheck. No Dirks Bentley concerts. eh? Yeah. But it's it's been something that we've needed, and I think it's helped out other sports as well. Besides higher pay, what else improved for you guys? Just travel and flights and hotels and, you know, per diem and little things promoting our game and marketing and getting our getting our game out there and, you know, what we need to do to get those fans in the seats. Just, you know, those little things that people may not look at, like pregnancy and what is it called? Leave. Uh, oh, maternity Maternity leave. leave, yeah. Little things like that, that's a big deal in a female's life. Yeah. You want to have the option to have kids when you still want to play. The Lamaru twins just that's had right. kids and they're able to do that. And it's great that that they're able to do that. Now they can come back when they're all set after maternity leave and come back and train. But we never had that option before. Mm-hmm. And for us to have that option now, it gives, it takes a little pressure off people that want to have families and want to get married and want to start a life. Like not a life, but a family life. Family life, yeah. Yeah. And it happens in the regular workforce. Why can't it happen for you guys, right? 100%. So now we've seen the boycott and then most, most recently we've seen your your teammates and your Inferno teammates, Johnson and Decker, put oh, yeah. their skills on display at the NHL All-Star Game, which is super cool. So cool. What do you think is a more effective tactic, though, 
to get noticed because both, I guess, have gotten their fair share of press. I don't know. I think this weekend, those girls didn't expect all that to happen. I know that they were going and they were doing the skills and NHL was watching them demo the skills. I don't think Dex had any clue yeah, that she, she was, was going to do that, that well. Yeah. And it just, it kind of happened. And she, like she said, it's been a whirlwind. But for Kendall to actually be the first woman ever to participate, that's amazing. Yeah. And it's been, I don't even know how many years the All-Star Game's been going on, but for Kendall to be the first woman, and it's 2019 now. Yeah. That's historic. And it helped. It's been helping put our sport on the map for sure. But I think starting with our boycott, that was a huge thing. It was kind of on NHL Network. It was on a lot of different, you know. Yeah, ESPN, everything. Yeah, Yeah, news. And it was something to talk about. And it was great. And then following that was our, you know, leading up to the Olympics and then the gold medal game. And I think these every, like, couple of months, these things happen. And it's been nothing but helping elevate our game, elevate our sport. But... There's been so much support throughout the NHL, um, Hockey Canada, USA Hockey, NWHL, CWHL, all those things coming together. I mean, that's what's going to help build everything. You probably didn't see this coming out of college, did you? No, absolutely not. I didn't know that there was any option for me after college. I just thought, oh, I need somewhere to train if I'm still on the national team. And then luckily the Boston team came from the CWHL. That was the first year. Boston Blades. Boston Blades. And I was like, thank goodness. Hmm. I don't have to move anywhere. I can kind of train, keep training with Mike Boyle. I feel you need to tell the listeners and describe to them what type of Boston Blades team won the Clarkson Cup because the boss or the Blades team that we see nowadays is not the team that we used to see. No, that is correct. And our Boston Blades team, it was the only team out of Boston at that time. So a lot of our national team girls that were just graduating college were on that team. And then there were a lot of very skilled, very talented girls out of college that either have tried out for the national team, been to camps, girls that I played with at UNH, girls that played for Providence Northeastern. We had a very talented team and it was young. So for that Boston team, it was brand new. All these girls that graduated college a year or two ago, they wanna keep playing hockey. So they have this option now. And I think that that's what made it so special is we had such a great chemistry group of girls and it was just so much fun. And then you had your national team girls that had needed a place to train and that kind of set that tempo every single day. But then you had that balance of the other girls that were there that had full-time jobs and they just wanted to play just to play. Because you were a part of the national program, was that a big reason as to why you wanted to stay in North America to train instead of looking for opportunities overseas, in Europe, potentially? Yeah, I never really thought about going overseas to Europe. And it just wasn't something I wanted to do. I didn't want to be that far away from home. (laughs) Saying that now, I live in Calgary, but (laughs) I'm 31 now. But it was, I think for me, the biggest thing was the resources that I had in Boston and being able to train with some of the best strength and conditioning coaches in the world and I knew that that would help my development because at the time I wasn't the best defenseman out there and I wanted to be and that was my goal and I wanted to improve the best I could every single day and I think Boston was my best 
option to do that. So you play a handful of years in the CWHL and you win a couple Clarkson Cups and there's an Olympics in, in, in there as well at Sochi. But then you decide to jump to the NWHL. What was the reason behind that? I think it was a decision that we made as a national team, the girls that were out of college, to help grow the game in the United States. And if we all were able to do that, it would help. If there were just a select few that were going to do it, it wouldn't be as competitive. And not going to lie, when they said that we're going to pay you fifteen dollars to $20,000, that helps a lot for anyone. So at that time, I was working at Merrimack, making this money for the NWHL and making a little bit of money with USA Hockey. And so I was feeling pretty good. But at the same time, it's what's the right thing for me because I'm 24-7 busy working, recruiting, trying to get my workouts in. My confidence isn't the highest like with USA Hockey right now. So that was a decision I, I had to make to stop. And I made that sacrifice if I wasn't getting paid a lot of money. And it was probably a couple of the hardest years of my career. You had to get your hands dirty, hey? You yeah. had to roll up your sleeves and get at it. I know. It was a good experience, though. The only thing, you, you only played one game a weekend. It okay. was on a Sunday around noon or 1 o'clock. A lot of tra- different travel. That was very exhausting. And it was you didn't not have to easy. travel that far, though, I guess. Sometimes we'd have to go to Buffalo, and we would go like that night before, play at 1 or 2, and then not get home until like mm. you know right. 3 in the morning. And that's scary. Dangerous, especially when it's snowing and everything. But And have to work the next morning or something. Yep. That was that was a tough year. It's wild to me because here you are on the biggest stage of your life in the Olympics, and then a lot of people don't see that side of Casey Bellamy. Yeah. But like I said, that was the hardest year. That was probably the hardest year. Yeah. The coach didn't have a lot of confidence in me. On Team USA, I didn't know what my future was going to hold. I was like, should I retire? Um, so you're 20, thinking that even, hey? Yeah. I'm 28 years old. I'm not ready to retire yet. Like, I'm still improving, I feel. Yeah. No one's going to, like, push me away from something. And so then I kind of had to make that decision, even though I was still, I was working my butt off in different ways, though, because I was working full-time Division One. Had to miss some games, competition, because we had, I had to coach. I had to just say, all right, I have to make the decision. And I stopped coaching that next year leading up into that 2016-17 year. And it was the best decision I made. Was, was able that to the train. beginning of you turning around your confidence or getting that confidence level back up there? I think so. I think it just took a lot of stress off of me. Whereas when I would step on the ice, I was probably thinking about 20 different things subconsciously mm-hmm. because of recruiting and this call I had to make and these emails I have when am I going to fit in time for my workout when am I going to fit in time for my conditioning oh I have this you know recruit that I have to meet at school at this time you don't think about those things until you're doing it non-stop and you don't even get a second and then you come home you have time for a smoothie and you leave for practice and you have to take a nap in your car hmm. and your roommate has to drive because we were carpooling and, you know, I had to try and get in a 20-minute nap before practice. Like I said, that was that was a year and a half. But I grew so much as a human being, as a person. Work ethic, I have so much respect for what my parents do. Full-time jobs and the what they, you know, put in. I love how you threw the smoothie in there. So at least you're still eating nutritious. You have to. <laughs> it's one of the most important things. You, you like could stop easily, off at McDonald's you, or something. Yeah, you could easily be lazy and just yeah. get a breakfast sandwich every day. Why did you decide to come back to the CWHL? 
Obviously, we're glad to have you. Thank you. Biggest reason for me to come back was the competition. Being able to play against Canadians every weekend, there's no better like thrill or you know excitement or it's what's going to prepare you and get you up for games. Then you know you want to play against your rivals. And after this year, it was a long, long year, and I was talking to Brianna Decker about it and our other roommate, Carson Duggan, who is from around here, who mm. knows a lot of friends from the area, and it would have been a smooth transition. And we just kind of said, you know what, let's do it. And we made a decision, and it's honestly been so no fun. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's, I, I mean, I didn't know what to expect. I've never done yeah. something like this. And the, girls on the team have been unbelievable opened us like welcomed us with arms wide open right away it's been i like they're gonna be my friends forever some of these girls that's awesome and we've been able to meet some of carson's friends which they have been amazing and you know probably one of the most unique things is being able to play on a team with a lot of canadians and girls that you've been playing against for years and you didn't really know who they were as a person just as like a player and it's been so fun getting to know them and how great of people that they are and like such big hearts and just like kind. But at the same time, they're so intense on the ice and like off the ice in the weight room. You see why they've made it as far as they have. Does it change the dynamic with some of the Canadian players now once you see them in international play again? It's more fun. Okay. Like I think that that's the biggest thing. We, we both know when we put that jersey on and step on the ice. It's it's full out like rivalry, yeah. and we're going we're going to battle. But I mean, if I'm in between faceoffs and I'm on a faceoff with Rebecca Johnston, I'm yeah. gonna I'm gonna give her that look and give her that little <laughs> laugh. Not that I'm not taking it serious, but it kind of lightens you up at yeah. the same time. And when you're light and you have fun, you can be intense and play great at the same time. But it's so unique when now I'm on the ice playing with and against like some of my best friends. So it's, that's really cool. It's really cool. What's your favorite Brianna Decker story? Oh my gosh. (laughs) I just think, oh my gosh, there's so many, but like Brianna is so intense and a lot of people probably do think that, but at the same time, she's so funny and keeps it so light off the ice. Like we just joke around all the time, but when she, oh, here's a good story. We were on the, playing for the Boston Pride a couple years back and we're so intense going against each other and we're playing in a mini game and Dex does something like goes off sides or something and then scores and I'm like that is total crap because that shouldn't have been a goal and I'm like such a rules person I follow the rules I'm like that is legal that is illegal so I like shot a puck at her and then since we lost the game we had to skate down and back no I so I skated past her I like hit her in the shin pads. And then as I'm coming back down, she slaps shots a puck at me, like as hard as she can. And that's how intense our friendship is. Like, and anyone who's listening is probably rolling their eyes because they know exactly how like our relationship is and our friendship. <laughs> like we will take it to the extreme of like, we will hurt each other. Like, and we don't care to like- It's like two brothers just like fighting all the yeah, time. To like, we, we get off the ice and we're just joking around. Another good story. Okay, I'll tell you one more. We got in the biggest fight ever about like after practice or something. I didn't have like body wash or something and I needed to borrow hers and something little small as that. And like, she was like, sure, like whatever, like bring your own next time. And like, we got in a huge fight about body wash. 
And so the next day I come to practice with like the biggest Costco bottle of body wash you'll ever see. And I'm like, here, here you go. Like you'll be fine for the year because now just because of that little tiny body wash I used and you complained about. My dad's paid, right? Yep. So little, little (laughs) dumb things like that, like that is Brianna and I's life right there. But she is honestly one of my best friends. We've gone through a lot together and she's become one of the best hockey players in the world. And I've just loved watching her work ethic and improve and the person and player that she is today. Both of you got to go to the CWHL All-Star game recently. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was fun pretty cool experience yeah and we we cheered really hard because we were both on the same team Uh. (laughs) so it was it was really unique but yeah they did a great job the cwhl did a really good job promoting it um we had like a little draft pre-dinner on that saturday night where it was very private and it was just the girls and so you got to meet some of the girls that you've never you know you've played against but it was a really nice private setting, and they did a great job promoting it. And it was just a really fun weekend, being able to see little girls there wanting to be us someday. Yeah, because I saw some pictures, and it was more than just the game itself, right? You had a chance to just impact some of the younger girls and uh, spend some time with them, which is awesome. Yeah, it was great, and I was able to go there early with Brianna, and then Sarah Nurse was there, and Johnston, Fortino. And we were able to go around and kind of promote the weekend take some pictures, go to the Ronald McDonald house. And those are the things that you remember. Those are the things that are lasting. And, you know, little kids, like I always say, if if you can just put a smile on their face and they remember it, then, you know, it's all what you did was worth it. Mm -hmm. Because for me, it's, I'm not going to play hockey forever. I want to. I'm going to try to play as long as I can, but I can grow the game as long as I want to. And I think being a role model is the most important thing you can do. So... You never know who's watching. You always want to, you know, put on your best effort, but also have a smile on your face, show great sportsmanship, and little kids see that, and they want to be you someday. So that's a, it's a huge honor. When did that realization happen for you that this was more than a game, that you had the platform you were given, and you could do so much with it? I think, you know, in college when after games you go and do autographs for little kids and they see you, and they're so excited to see you. And you're a college kid and you're like, do you really want to be signing these autographs right now? You're just so tired, you know, you you want to go see your family, but you really have to take the time and go see those little kids because you might be making their dream come true just by going up there and saying hi to them and take a picture with them. Like, you don't know what people are going through in life and everyone's going through something different. So you just put kind of your ego away and your tiredness away for that 30 minutes and you go upstairs and, you know, you go make an impact on a little girl or boy Mm -hmm. that came to the game to see you. Mm -hmm. And so for me, that's definitely one of the most rewarding and most important things that I can do as a player. Right. And a couple of the Inferno girls that I've talked to have said that a big moment in their life as to why they started playing hockey was seeing those other girls at the Olympics. Yeah. And putting on that jersey and like that's a big deal, right? Yeah, it is a really big deal. And if I was able to I wasn't able to have many role models as a young kid because there wasn't women's hockey around and the ones that were in the Olympics, they weren't around my area, really. I mean, Julie Chu was Connecticut. Yeah. But they didn't do much exposure and going out to see kids. But if I had a Olympian come and come to a game or like I went to one of their games or I got their autograph or saw their medal life-changing 
it was life-changing for me when I saw 2002, the first, the second Olympics, but I saw it on TV when I was in high school and it was just eye-opening for me. I said, I, I want to do that. Final thing about the CWHL All-Star Game. So I've pulled up the list of all the CWHL All-Stars. If the CWHL had a skills competition, okay, who would you pick as the winner of these categories that I'm going to give you here? Okay. Hardest shot. Megan Bozak. And I think a lot of people would say that because she is unreal. Passing drill. It's got to be Dex. I, I would have to give it to Dex just because she just won this past That's weekend. Big... <laughs> I'll give it to her. Uh, puck handling? Mm, probably Marie-Philippe Pouin. Okay. Puck handling? She's got the best hands you've seen, eh? She's got pretty, she's got pretty good hands, yeah. She's very, very skilled. Accurate shot. Accurate shot. Who's going four for four in the targets? This is pretty good. Maybe Brianne Jenner. Okay. I'm going to give it to her. You're also allowed to be in this conversation too, you know. Oh yeah, but I'm, come on. I'm a defenseman. (laughs) I don't have that much skill. (laughs) Uh, Jenner, hey? Yeah. Here we go. Fastest skater. No Kendall coin. Renata Fast. Because she has Fast in the last name? No, she's, I think she's. Blazing Fast. Blazing Fast. And you might not notice it because she's a defenseman, but she is incredibly fast and she's just improving. And she'll close the gap on you like you don't have a break. Oh, yeah. Anymore. I mean, I <laughs> I think she's so talented. I love watching her. I try not to watch her too much, though, when we're playing against her, but she's really, really talented. Final one, breakaway challenge. Goalie. Mm. Who's making the most saves? You know what? I'm going to give it. I'm going to give it to Liz Knox, you know? I love the girls. I thought she had a great... I thought she stood on her head in the All-Star game and yeah. the the time she played. And I got to meet her as a person. I've heard nothing but incredible things about her. And she was... If you said, like, who's one of the people you met at the All-Star weekend that it was just so nice, so refreshing. That was It was her. Liz Knox. Yep. Casey Bellamy's MVP of the weekend. Yeah, loved her. That's awesome. So just this past year, you had a chance to do something pretty special where you got to publish and release a book mm-hmm. name of the book unbroken heart of gold when was that just a, a twinkle in your eye or when was that like in its first beginning stages when did you start coming up with that idea i knew i wanted to write a book i think it became more of a reality over the last year after winning gold because i wanted to incorporate a gold medal somehow and so it helped that you yeah. won gold <laughs> especially with the I title did- right yeah, I didn't know exactly what I wanted the title to be, but I knew I wanted something like Heart of Gold. Okay. And it just seemed more fitting when you win a gold medal. It was either going to be that or Silver Linings. Okay. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I've had this passion for writing poetry for about eight years now. And I've accumulated like 100 to 200 poems. And I said to myself, what's stopping me from writing a book? I can do it. I just have to do it and put it on paper. And so I was thinking about it this summer and I start I just started putting it into my computer, putting it into paper, doing more research on how to publish it and self-publishing. And it was way easier than I thought. And I didn't care how much money I made off of it. I just said like I wanted to write this book someday and there we go. It happened put it out there and I'm glad I did. Awesome. It's fun. It's kind of cool. I'm like an author as well. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Do you prefer being called a writer or an author or a poet? I like writer. Oh, poet's cool, but 
I feel like there's legitimacy. There's, right, yeah, there right? is. It's kind of fun. But I just, I don't know. It just comes to me. My brother writes song lyrics. I think we both have that. Those brain waves. Yeah. Where words just come out the in different side ways. Of yeah. yeah. What warrants you writing a poem? Anything. Like I could be laying in bed before and just like thinking about something random like a tree or like snow or any, anything. And it just comes out and then I can make like two to three sentences out of it and I'll try to remember it or write it in my phone. And then the next day, if I feel in something else, I'll add to it. Mm. But I don't put any pressure on myself to like, okay, you need to sit down and write. Things just come to me. And then I said, oh, that sounds pretty cool. I like how that is described in that way. And I just kind of go with it. I'll tweak it around a little bit, but... Do you want to write a poem about this podcast experience? (laughs) I could, probably. But I don't know. I don't ever... Like I said, I don't put pressure on myself. It just happens. just comes to me. Yeah, that's cool. Where can people find your book? Um, It's on Amazon. Amazon Amazon.ca, Amazon.com, all the Amazons. Sweet. I don't know how to transition from this, but now, now that you've gone through so much in life and so many cool experiences... Can you rank your top five coolest experience because of hockey? I would definitely say number one, Olympics, Pyeongchang. Number two, opening ceremonies, Vancouver, 2010. Number three, being on the Ellen show and like the Jimmy Fallon show, those were pretty cool experiences. So I would have to kind of say just that whole post-Olympic whirlwind tour was really fun. It's unique, right? Like yeah. not a lot of people get a chance to do that or experience that. Yeah, that was really unique. I would honestly say number four, my experience at Berkshire School, boarding school, just having the opportunity to do that. And number five, probably having my brother at the Olympics in Pyeongchang. Hmm. That's Good awesome. luck charm. Yeah. Throwing out the first pitch at Fenway doesn't make the top five? Yeah, that was awesome. Megan Duggan gave me the ball. I was so surprised. I just wish it was a strike. Well, you were probably surprised, though, I know. Right? I was you weren't so, mentally I, prepared for I this. I wasn't. And that was a really, really cool experience. Like, for her to give me that and let me throw out the first pitch, I'll never forget that. And there were some cool pitchers. But my teammates have been, honestly, like, the reason I'm still playing today. And Megan is a huge reason for that. She's one of my best friends, and... She's pushed me so much and made me a better person and stronger. So people underestimate your teammates when you're, you know, doing interviews and you just, people are following you. I think people still play this sport because of the team and it's a team aspects, team aspect and a team dynamic. I feel like it's more than a team. It's like a family, right? It, it is. It totally is. And you're not going to be successful without your teammates. Yeah. Awesome. Anything mm-hmm. else you want to plug? Mm, I think the biggest thing... For me, is how much like all of this, all of everything that we're talking about, and my whole hockey career, it couldn't have been possible if it wasn't for my parents and my family. I mean, I think a lot of people like underestimate, like I said, the team, but your family and the sacrifices that your parents make, they're the reason I'm here today. I talk to them still every single day. They s- still follow all, all of our games, and they have made the ultimate sacrifice for all these these goals of mine and dreams that have been built shout out to the bellamy shout out to more and bob that's right well thank you so much for dropping into story island to share some cool experiences ready to go crush some donuts yeah let's have some let's try it thank you so much for having me i appreciate it 
Thank you for listening to this episode of Reading the Play. For more content, don't forget to hit that subscribe button, and you can also download other episodes at sportcalgary.ca. Be sure to check out the Facebook page, Reading the Play, and to stay up to date on the latest RTP news, including new episodes, make sure to follow on Instagram at Reading the Play and myself, Jeremy Lee, at Legacy. I really hope there's a piece of Casey's story that impacts, inspires, and ignites you to help you win your day. And as always, I'll catch you in the next episode.